All right, hello, and welcome to uh, the Benzo Rehab Dungeon. This is Religious Deconstruction, episode 15, uh, where we no longer really talk about religion, uh, but we just uh, discuss concepts uh, uh, in general. Uh, it is the uh, the 4th of July, 2022, in these God-blessed American uh, United States. Um, I have uh, with me today, would, would you like to go by, by, by an alias, or, or is your first name okay? Yeah, first name's good. First name's good. All right, I'm joined by Robert. Uh, do you do you want to throw out your Instagram handle or no? No. Okay. They 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 don't need to see that garbage. <laughs> I think it's a good enough Instagram. Um. So, uh, joined by Robert, a a friend of the dungeon, uh, who uh, is a little bit of a little bit of a dork when it comes to the Supreme Court. Um, and. Uh, the, the back in the day i used to play fantasy supreme court it, it was a tough walk <laughs> that's pretty rough man uh i'm not gonna lie um <laughs> it's a tough walk <laughs> uh so um yeah uh, our topic today is uh uh well we're starting off with the lack of any kind of functional legislative uh branch right uh, the legislature doesn't do anything really the best it can do is get into like a, a gridlock on very simple things that should be passed but you know politics one way or another kind of don't let anybody do anything uh useful um the filibuster you know not letting a simple majority decide what happens in the, in, in the legislation um that sort of thing and so a lot of decisions that should be made by the legislature, uh, codifying things into law through legislation, um, are actually falling to the Supreme Court uh, in terms of, you know, deciding yay or nay on court cases. Um, so that's, that's our starting point. Uh, Robert, if you would like to say a couple of words on that or give some kind of historical context on that. Um, well, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I think if you want to understand why the Supreme Court has sort of been given the power that it has and why you often hear people sort of shrug their shoulders when the Supreme Court makes a decision, it's like, oh, there's nothing we can do. You got to go back to the Warren Court, right? The Warren Court presided over by Earl Warren. I think he took over in 1953. He stayed for like 15 years. But there was a long time where there was this sort of liberal Supreme Court theory. And the thought is like, OK, um, getting rid of racial segregation is unpopular. Getting rid of prayer in schools is unpopular. Um, having the police not beat the shit out of black people is unpopular. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to have these unelected officials who aren't accountable to anyone and who get approved very easily onto the court. We're going to let them take over and do the things. Right. So you get some really influential Supreme Court cases like Brown v. Board, which allegedly ends segregation or at least tried to or at least ended some segregation. The law you get Miranda, which says the police have to warn you before they try and beat the shit out of you. Uh, you get Gideon v. Wainwright, which says just because you're really poor, we'll give you an overworked attorney who can pretend to give you justice. But you get these sort of nominal gains. Right. And because. The Supreme Court was sort of doing the dirty work that legislators didn't want to, so they didn't have to stand up to segregationists. They could just say, oh, look, we've got a court. They're making the choices. Sorry, guys. 
there was a general thought that the Supreme Court was good and its undemocratic leanings could work towards our benefit. And the thing that was going to keep it in check was the fact that people on the Supreme Court were elites, right? These are people who went to like Harvard and Yale and really no other law school. So thought is, okay, um, they'll be very smart. They'll be very capable. And they're not going to upset the balance of things, right? They're not going to lean too hard against the rich people because they're rich themselves, but also they're not going to do anything crazy because they want to keep the status quo. So we'll get like this slow expansion of rights, right? You get Griswold, you get Roe, things are going great. But that theory has not held up. And now that people have really cemented the fact that the Supreme Court just makes decisions and there's nothing we can do about it. It's very hard to push against it. Almost every single really bad Supreme Court decision that was made this term. And let's be clear, there were a lot of really bad decisions made. This is the worst year since 1857 and probably (laughs) since 1803 on the Supreme Court. You got to go back pretty far to find a worse year than this for the Supreme Court. You got to go back to either like Dred Scott, right? Or Marbury versus Madison, where the Supreme Court decided it could do things. Like that's the level of bad we're at. Most of the bad rulings could be reversed by Congress passing a simple law. For sure. Right. Like you look at this disastrous EPA ruling could be undone by Congress passing a law. Probably you look at Roe could be undone by Congress passing a law. You look at the gun control thing probably couldn't be undone with a law, but Congress could make it a lot better. Right. But because we've accepted that you've just got these nine unelected people who do their thing. Yeah, sorry, there's nothing we can do, guys, except send out fundraising emails. Yeah, which, I mean, that, that's a whole subject in and of itself, I think. Um, I think we'll get there. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, this really long history, and, and, and I think, you know, what, what you're saying is, is ringing true to what I understand about the history of the Supreme Court, which is that... Um, they're they're doing the dirty work of of legislators who don't actually want to do this kind of stuff because maybe it's unpopular. Um, I mean that's that's the entire reason that Roe has never actually been codified is because uh, first off, I think a lot of uh, Democrats don't actually uh, want legal abortion, um, and so you know they've they've kind of kicked the can down the road, letting letting something like the Supreme Court handle that right. Um, and and the uh, the you know the the public perception has always been well you know the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Roe um, or did I get that wrong was it was it in favor of Roe or against Wade or something like that I, whatever they made it, it, was, it was in favor of Jane, it was in favor of uh, Jane Roe okay all right so they rule in favor of Roe okay I got that right. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think a lot of the public doesn't even understand that they can like eventually reverse this if they want to. And so they just kind of like take that as the win they needed. Um, and then, you know, a couple of other rights, uh, kind of get affirmed by the courts through this like overfill, um, and, uh, others that I'm blanking on the names of, but, you know, uh, so, you know, you get, uh, <clears throat> same sex marriage is kind of, uh, 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 affirmed in this way, you know, rights to the privacy in your bedroom sort of stuff uh, get affirmed in this way. Um, yeah, the Lawrence was like, so Lawrence was the case that said that sodomy punishment is unconstitutional. Many people don't realize that, that was from like 2003. Yeah. Like this, these are not longstanding things. Um, yeah, which is yeah. insane. And so, you know, I, I think 
there's been this large public perception that you know um the, the court is like a necessary evil to securing our rights so to speak and that um you know what we've already achieved they can't really go back on and that's not really the case um and and you know it's it's good that that's not really the case in some ways because lots of really unfortunate rulings have been passed down by the supreme court uh, especially you know in, in regards to like native american tribes and stuff like that uh, so it's good that the, really the, the one that the one that always gets brought out for this is Plessy v. Ferguson, which was the 1896 ruling that said separate but equal is totally okay, guys. This won't cause any problems. Don't worry, they'll definitely be equal. Right? Yeah, uh, and you know that that obviously doesn't uh, pan out very well. And um, uh, you know, did they reverse that one eventually? Right? Or no? Yeah, that's Brown v. Board reversed it. Brown v. Board reversed it. Right then. Um, yeah, so it's good that they can reverse these rulings, but it's also bad that we re rely on them to basically designate, like, like what rights we have, um, based off of court cases, right? Um, yeah, and, like, let's not forget, right, like, it's, e I know you're not doing this, but many people tell a picture where, like, the Supreme Court doing, like, really bad stuff is somehow contrary to the same times they're expanding rights, like as you said, Lawrence v. Texas, which said sodomy was bad, is 2003. Um, Texas v. Johnson, which said you can't arrest people for burning a flag, was 1989. Uh, between that was Bush v. Gore, where the Supreme Court just decided an election. Right, which is, <laughs> I mean, it, it's insane, and, and it's pretty insane that, you know, the Democratic Party didn't fight back against that uh, very much at yeah, all. I mean, they, they were okay with... Um, who wrote that opinion? I'm pretty sure it was Rehnquist, but they were okay with the Supreme Court writing opinion saying the government not counting your vote is not a big deal and doesn't count as an irreparable <laughs> yeah. harm, and which is like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the main argument was, yeah, if we recount, uh, there's going to be a cloud over Bush's legitimacy, guys, and that'd be really bad for Bush, wouldn't it? Yeah. I, I'm Scalia. Like, <laughs> which, uh, you know, re rest in peace, King. Um <laughs> but uh yeah no i mean i mean the the power of the courts has has expanded so much in, in really recent memory um i mean it's always had like an outsized power uh i think in, uh, to begin with um but you know re really in like the last couple of decades it's, it's spiraled out of control it seems like um typically you know the supreme court previous was uh kind of used to reinforce whatever the government was doing um kind of kind of a situation where it's like oh hey uh there might be some kind of legal challenge to us like kicking a bunch of native americans off their land uh and then you know the government goes to the supreme court and says hey you're you're my lawyer take a look at this and figure out how they're wrong um and and that's kind of like how the ruling gets passed down uh the, the supreme court has not typically like been that um um that's what i'm looking for they're not very uh uh antagonistic towards towards the government as a whole right no like why would they be most of these most of the people who end up on this court um i mean by necessity right they're deeply indebted to the kinds of government officials they've got to rule against just because like the president has to nominate them and the senate has to say yes but like 
you'll see most of them have backgrounds as like federal prosecutors or people who worked in the DOJ or attorneys general. Like, yeah, it's basically impossible. Though it used to be basically impossible to get on the Supreme Court unless you had spent significant time working in government. Now you just like have to teach law and say abortion bad. But yeah, I mean, a- Amy Coney Barrett uh, sticks out in this case where, I mean, she, I-, I don't remember where she went to law school, but from what I remember, it's not like a super prestigious law school or anything like that. I'm pretty sure she graduated from Notre Dame in addition to teaching there. Okay. Um, so yeah, then, then on like the flip side, like you've also got Elena Kagan, who was basically just like the dean of Harvard Law School and then a solicitor general for half a year. Like right. it's, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, like uh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, like what, she never really had any bench time as a judge uh, compared to like the people she's serving on the Supreme Court with, right? Yeah, um, yeah she was on the seventh court for, I think, three years. Yeah, which was so like not nothing, but certainly right. like less than someone like a Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, so who, very, who's got very, his own problems? Yeah, of course we're, we're not we're not standing Brett Kavanaugh, of course. In fact, I, I don't think we're standing any you, Supreme Court justice because they're all pretty shitty in their own way. Um, you're not standing Brett Kavanaugh, have you not? Like, come on, <laughs> well, he likes beer. You like beer? <laughs> that's come true. On. Yeah. I actually don't drink beer very much anymore. It doesn't uh, doesn't hit quite as hard as other things, um, but uh, yeah, no. So so we've got frat boy uh, Brett Kavanaugh. You know, um, let's let's maybe talk about you know like what the composition of the uh, the Supreme yeah, sure. Court is right now. So we've got the uh, the Chief Justice Roberts, right? Um, yeah, John, we we can just go through them a little bit. Like so, John Roberts is. I mean, you. I think the best way to tell like what Roberts is about because he's the chief justice. It used to be his court. It's no longer his court. Like you look at what he did on a uh, Dobbs, which was the abortion case recently, right? You had the five conservatives saying, we're going to completely get rid of Roe. You had the three rebel liberals saying, what the fuck are you doing? Don't do that. And then you had Roberts who wrote a concurrence that basically said we should get rid of Roe, but more slowly because we need to preserve our legitimacy and not make change too quickly. (laughs) Like Roberts is as much of an asshole as the rest of them. Right. But like his big thing is slow change. He's like your very typical conservative. uh, Don't shake things up. Just oppress people slightly more slowly kind of guy. He got his start as the attorney general for Reagan. Well, she got to start clerking for Rehnquist. Like he's been around a while, and then he became the chief justice under George W. Bush. Yeah, so uh, obviously a guy who um, you know doesn't really lean too liberally on things. Um, people call him more of a centrist, but being a centrist on the Supreme Court means that you're like pretty pretty decently right wing, actually. Um, yeah, he, he's a centrist only because uh, he wants the Supreme Court to stay as the institution it is, right? Like another case you can look at is like NFIB v. Sibelius, which was the Obamacare case, mm-hmm. where he sort of just made up the thought that the Obamacare fine was actually a tax. Yeah. It's like, no, they, they say it's a fine. They say they're penalizing you, but really it's just a tax, guys, right. and they can <laughs> tax people. Right? Like it's... And he made that up just because he needed some reason to save Obamacare so the Supreme Court didn't look biased. Like, yeah, it's calling him a centrist, I think, under, undermines the ways in which, like, what he really wants is to keep the Supreme Court as powerful as possible. 
Yeah, he doesn't seem too interested in... Um, I mean, uh, I guess it's kind of a little bit hard to... He doesn't seem too interested in, like, what the court actually does necessarily, as long as it's nothing extreme or rapid so that, you know, you know, uh, like you're saying, you know, the change is slow and the, the Supreme Court, you know, maintains its image as something that's not like doing anything reactionary, I guess. Um, yeah. And he's willing to step out to be reactionary on the cases that he knows people won't pay attention to. Right. So like right. Shelby County, where they basically sound like, yeah, we can get rid of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 because racism doesn't exist anymore. Like he wrote that opinion, right? He was right. all on board for that. Like black people won't ever have their votes taken away by Republican states. It's unconstitutional to make sure they're not oppressing people. Like, yeah, it's which, Roberts doesn't give a shit about anything except his own image. Which you know, I I, I think you bringing up that case and and Roberts being so uh integral and in how like the the ruling came down on that um racism doesn't exist anymore in this country because we have a black president is something that you could hear from any one of your incredibly uneducated racist uncles right like <laughs> i i hate to like shit on these people too much but these opinions are not like extremely nuanced uh, or anything like that. Like Scalia, in, in my opinion, was a fucking dunce in a lot of ways. Um, so you know, we, we don't have a court uh, that's that's like these incredibly wizened uh, people that that like have really uh, really profound thoughts. Uh, we've we've got a court of people who have very similar opinions to, um, again, your uneducated racist uncle. Um, so uh, that's that's. Go ahead. Speaking of uneducated racist uncle, Clarence Thomas, huh? Mm. Yeah, that's another one we could talk about. Um, <laughs> I mean, as long as, as we're going through it, we might as well go through by seniority. Number two, CT, Clarence Thomas. Is, is he the second most uh, senior? I thought uh, I thought Alito was, but I, I guess I must be wrong. No, Alito was uh, W. Bush, and Thomas oh, okay. was okay. original Bush. Okay, gotcha. All right. So about a, about an eight, 10 year gap there. Um, 15. It was actually a while. Look, dude, I don't do math. I don't even know. When no, I'm just, I'm just no I mean, it was the very beginning of Bush yeah. one and okay. near the end of Bush two. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, let's dig into uh, Clarence Thomas a little bit. Um, you, you know, you, you are, you've already kind of made the Uncle Tom joke, so. <laughs> well, that's I, I didn't notably I did, I did not make that. So Clarence Thomas is certainly racist, but yeah, I don't. Uh, you, you don't need to bring in any like race traitor language to make it happen. What you need to bring in is that really like his start was working for Reagan because black culture was causing lots of problems, and Reagan had the solution to racism. Like that was how Clarence right. Thomas got in. Yeah, yeah, he's part of that uh, conservative older black uh uh generation that you know um reinforces all these negative stere stereotypes about poor black people uh does does like the the bill cosby thing of like well you gotta pull up your pants and you know get to work young whippersnapper sort of stuff and uh you know uh there's there's 
problems in the community that surround like uh, issues like just being lazy or being absent fathers and mothers and um you know relying too much on welfare sort of sort of rhetoric is i think where where clarence thomas comes from um it really buys into the uh the reagan era you know welfare queen rhetoric of things um and and just and of you know, course like he he replaced Thurgood Marshall, which like if you want to find somebody who was like a good Supreme Court justice and a good lawyer working for good, like that's he's about the best case you can come up with. Yeah. Um and like then we're replacing with Clarence Thomas because Clarence Thomas is also black. Right. Like which, that's it. Which I mean that that's part of like the the shell game that gets played with somebody like Amy Coney Barrett, right? Where the ID politics of who replaces uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is like, don't worry, we're going to put a woman on the court. And uh, obviously that's missing several important things about, you know, no, no huge fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but she was not as shitty as she was uh, decent, I guess. Um, very, very mixed bag of opinions uh, uh, there. But, I mean, replacing someone who is at least a little good with Amy Coney Barrett, who just happens to also be a woman, but has, you know, like re really weird ties to, you know, first off the Federalist Society, of course, uh, which is where most of the conservative justice has come from. Um, you know, all these religious uh, uh, cult sort of <laughs> ties, um, the, the quiverful kind of uh, Christianity uh that's that she comes from uh clear clearly like just being a woman replacing ruth bader ginsburg wasn't enough um but uh yeah so back to clarence thomas uh thurgood thurgood marshall uh leaves uh he, did he retire or did he die i think he retired i'm pretty sure he retired he was he was very old at the time yeah, he retired he was, he was but i think old. he just couldn't handle the work anymore right so so i think he did retire uh, gets replaced by Clarence Thomas, who's an obvious, you know, plant. Um, yeah, we found uh, another black guy to fill the seat. Um, doesn't matter that he, he completely <laughs> disagrees with everything Thurgood, Thurgood Marshall stood for. Also doesn't matter with all the credible sexual assault stuff. Yeah, Just right. like... Um, maybe let's go into that a little bit and how he ends up getting appointed re regardless of all the credible sexual assault uh, allegations. Yeah, so like the thing the thing about Clarence Thomas was the first of like the really controversial Supreme Court justices because before Thomas you would regularly see like 95 to 0 votes. Yeah. And maybe one or two vote against it just to like make a point, but everyone knew that just this was getting confirmed. But Thomas made it to through 52-48 with like some Republicans rejecting it and most, but not all Democrats rejecting it. Joe Biden, he shows up here. He ran Thomas's hearing and did just a terrible job with everything. Literally, no one thinks he could a job, but did good job. But the TLDR is like Anita Hill, who's someone Thomas worked with. Felt like she was sexually harassed by him. Uh, he regularly like made sexually offensive remarks to her, comparing himself to a porn star. He like talked about he found some hair on a can of Coke and said it was her pubic hair. Like he talked about um, how anyone who pointed this out about him was lynching him, literally hanging him from a tree. 
And this was just worse. Actually, it was worse than lynching because it was destroying his reputation and not just his life. Um, Other people filed complaints against him, but chose not to testify because they felt intimidated and like their lives and careers would be ruined if they said anything. Which in the case of Anita Hill, just turned out to be true. Like that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that, 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 that's proven by Anita Hill, who essentially yeah. had to live in like political exile for a decade or two before yeah. uh, she, she teaches uh, law at Harvard now, I think, or something, or maybe. Yeah. You know? I'm not saying they did anything wrong. I'm just like, that's why there wasn't more against him. Yeah, like no, they wrote no. letters saying we'd love to testify, but and then Joe Biden, of course, no, didn't no, no, introduce yeah, I'm, anything. I'm just, I'm and it's giving that additional context. Yeah. yeah. And then a couple of years ago, um, an investigative journalist, I think their name was Corey Robin, like went deep in on this. Robin is like a, a Thomas scholar who writes a lot about conservatism and negatively. And they found that it was basically like. there was no way he didn't do it yeah right yeah and which I, I, we didn't need a we didn't need a journalist to tell us but people like to say these days that like anita hill was discredited or that it was all a lie or look thomas and kavanaugh both had hysterical women go after him because women are really bad yeah and i mean if you it, if you watch either testimony from from these women they're they're actually incredibly well composed given what they're talking about um, yeah and then the the, the male supreme, future supreme court justices absolutely fucking lose it yeah i mean how, how many crying baby <laughs> kavanaugh fucking memes have we seen in our like, in the last couple of years just absolute red in the face tears coming down his cheeks i didn't do anything wrong i like beer don't you like beer senator um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that that's how Thomas gets on the court. And then on the court, Thomas is basically I, I'm not gonna make comments on Thomas's intelligence because I just have no idea whether he's smart or not, but he's clearly like he's more batshit than the outcome of a salmonella outbreak at the vampire convention. Like it's <laughs> it's bad. I mean, really like Scalia looked at this guy and said, We agree on a lot of things, but this guy is absolutely insane. His jurisprudence yeah, no, is awful. I, I think I think uh Thomas isn't necessarily dumb, but uh, there is some insane beliefs that he comes from that that really kind of drive what he does. And so he yeah, and he Thomas's style. Yeah, sir. Yeah, Thomas's yeah. style on the court. Yeah, it, it plays into this, right? He ver- he basically never asks questions, so people can't get counter arguments against what he's saying. And then he'll write solo dissents where he lays out some insane legal theory, not because he thinks it's actually going to have impact on the court, because he knows in the Federalist Society, which is basically like this group of conservative, I think it's a it's a conservative legal group that basically anyone who wants to make progress in a Republican administration has to join in law school. They worship Thomas and all his dissents get read there. So he's influencing future generations to agree that like, for instance, the 14th Amendment doesn't actually protect any of your rights. Yeah. Like, this and- is just a straightforward Clarence Thomas view. And people have said it for years, but now it seems like it might actually go somewhere. Right. And and you know the reason that he's Kind of laying all this like legal theory groundwork isn't because he thinks he's going to be able to change it in his lifetime what he's doing is he's basically leaving a trail of dissents that a future supreme court justice can use as part of their uh you know their uh their opinion uh later on on a ruling right 
So they, I mean, descents get used all the time, and in like previous descents, uh, no matter which way the the court ruled on a case, um, get used all the time in like current descents or current rulings. So he's he's kind of just like laying this theoretical legal groundwork for a future generation of justices to to lean on and and say, look the uh, the the history of the Supreme Court. There was you know a couple of justices who dissented in this way, and so we actually agree with their their concept of legal theory. Um, is that is that what do you think is kind of happening with the uh, Thomas or? Yeah, absolutely. You can see this in the current generation of like Trump appointed federal justices as people will, especially in their dissents, they'll just cite Thomas and say, yeah, anything Thomas said is right. And then eventually, you know, you get enough Republicans and you get enough court nominees. Eventually, even if they're not people who totally agree with Thomas, people who are at least willing to enact what he wants on similar measures end up getting power. Just right. to give you, I think this is a good example of how absolutely like nonsense Thomas's legal theory is. So there was this case when he was a federal judge, uh, the state of Louisiana, like they had mental institutions back in those days. They still have them now, but like it, institutionalization was much more widespread. And there was this legal question of somebody has a mental illness when they're institutionalized, then they get better. Do they have to be released? And the court said, of course you have to release them, right? You're violating their due process rights by keeping them contained, even though there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Thomas is Thomas dissents and says, no, you know, <laughs> states have a lot of power. Um, I think as a policy matter, it might be good to remove sane people from mental institutions, but federal judges just shouldn't be imposing their policy preferences. If states want to keep people in insane asylums, even though there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah, why not? OK, I'm quite so and like any basic reading of the due process clause of the 14th Amendment suggests that that's obviously wrong. But Thomas just applies this across the board. It's the exact same states' rights arguments you heard in like the 1850s about how even though the Constitution says everyone's free, yeah, you know, uh, these people can be slaves. States have a right to do whatever they want. Yeah, um, it's nonsense. The, the concept of states' rights seems to come up a lot when it comes to uh, people's like uh, ability to be free. Um, so uh, that that's probably enough uh, background on uh, Clarence Thomas. Who's uh, who's next on on the list? Well, one more thing. One more thing right, that I ahead. just think is amusing. Do, do you know what Clarence Thomas said about cross burning in Virginia? <laughs> I actually don't know this one. This, this is the one good thing Clarence Thomas has done, and the one time it can be like kind of helpful, uh, just to show Clarence Thomas deep down knows better. Is Virginia had a statute that said you can't burn crosses in front of people's houses. And of course, the Supreme Court overturned that because cross burning isn't inherently intimidation, yeah. right? It's protected speech and you have to show that they want to send a threat. This is like the one good thing Clarence Thomas ever did is he dissented from that and said like, no, this is this this is insane. Yeah, <laughs> you, you you can't burn crosses in front of people's houses and terrorize them and say, "Oh yeah, First Amendment." Like this will be a recurring threat as we go through these conservative Supreme Court justices. But like they know better deep down, most of them, except for this next guy, Sam Alito, who I think is just a small-minded asshole. Yeah, 
He he seems like he really sucks. He he's just Sam Alito is just angry that other people get to have a good time in this world. Right. So he just consistently <laughs> acts against them. But yeah, it's yeah, Sam Alito, he was appointed by George W. Bush. He took over Sandra Day O'Connor's spot. Um honestly, there's not a lot to say about Alito, except in any given case, um just imagine what like the most evil, most harmful thing to do is not just like an opinion, right? But think of the worst way yeah. you could do it. That is the Sam Alito way. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems pretty clear that, uh, um, you know, what wasn't wasn't he again? He was against uh, same sex marriage, wasn't he? Yeah. So this yeah. is this is where Sam Alito gets revealed to be an asshole. And just to be clear, John Roberts is the chief justice. This will be called the John Roberts Court. But Sam Alito is in charge now. He gets to decide what happens. In 2015, Sam Alito writes a thing saying this history and traditions test he loves uh, doesn't cover same-sex marriage. Right, naturally so. A test that says what we need to do is look back at what's traditionally been allowed in the United States. That's what the Constitution protects. Obviously, same-sex marriage has not been protecting the United States for very long, but there wouldn't be a court case about it. Then in 2022, he writes an opinion saying this history and traditions test doesn't defend abortion. But don't worry, it totally defends same-sex marriage. Don't worry, don't be mad at me. I'm committed to defending same-sex marriage. Yeah, and there's no way he's not lying about that, right? Um, like, Honestly, I'm a little surprised he wrote it at all. Because i that's the only evidence that he's not lying, is that I thought he would have been enough of an asshole to just say this needs to get gotten rid of, like Clarence Thomas did. The, yeah. only, the only conservative on the court committed to defending same-sex marriage is Brett Kavanaugh. Which, man. <laughs> that's not, it's not even clear that's right. Yeah. But he's the, he wrote a concurrence saying, no, 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 guys. Uh, same-sex marriage actually really does pass the constitutional tax. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Alito, Alito hates same-sex marriage. He wants um, – gender discrimination he wants sex discrimination he wants no COVID 19 pandemic rules he's on record saying they're basically all unconstitutional right it's yeah i i have trouble believing that because uh, I, I i think alito is capable of lying to everyone's face and not feeling bad about it um and i think that's his status quo yeah, right um, so I, I think, you know, even though he wrote in that, that like caveat to this, which, which says, no, don't worry, it doesn't affect same sex marriage. I, I think, I think that's him kind of just throwing people off the trail. Um, because Clarence Thomas has made it clear that all these other rights are on the chopping block, uh, when, whenever they come up to the court. Um, and you know, the, the, the lie that he's basically just like, really concerned about their legal precedent um uh that you know that that's what clarence thomas is kind of arguing is is that like look i'm not saying i'm necessarily against this i'm worried about the legal precedent uh, uh, uh how we we uh we ruled on these things um that's that's obviously not true uh he, he knows yeah. what will happen if these things come up to the court and they need to be ruled yeah. on again um 
So I think Alito. All Alito really said, even all he really said was just, we're not overturning them right now. And the reasoning from this case can't be directly used by lower courts to overturn these things. Right. Which really means, like, he made no guarantees whatsoever that they were going to protect it. Like a like a wink and a nudge to the lower courts to say, hey, look, if you're a conservative judge and you're trying to get this law changed, uh. You need to you need to tweak your your like legal reasoning a little bit before you you kick it up to the the, the Supreme Court, right? Yeah, it's not a. I think it's less of a wink and a nudge to lower courts because that's just going to get appealed anyway. It's a wink and a nudge to state legislatures to basically sure. say, "Look, sure, sure, sure. take the risk, ban same sex marriage. I've got your back." Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. No. That's yeah, a, this is this is how it works, right? Is state legislatures pass laws that don't pass current constitutional muster. Lower courts say, what the heck? You can't do that. We're going to overturn this. Then it gets appealed up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme right. Court says, yeah, we changed our mind now. Like, that's how court cases get overturned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. just because something is unconstitutional doesn't mean states can't pass a law and enforce it. It just means that eventually, five years in the future, someone is going to tell them now. Sort of like all your friends that are saying, oh, don't worry. Alito said that probably interstate travel bans for abortions are unconstitutional. So states totally won't pass laws on that. Yeah, yeah. Good good, good luck with that argument. Well, and then, you know, it also needs to be pointed out that the Supreme Court has the emergency docket um, or, or otherwise known oh. as the shadow docket where... Uh, if they feel like a case is urgent enough that, and it requires an immediate uh, immediate ruling, um, they don't even need to give an opinion on how they rule. Sometimes they do, but most times they don't. Uh, they, they can just give a ruling, a quick thumbs up, thumbs down sort of thing on a state like Texas, uh, basically extraditing people back to Texas after they leave Texas to get an abortion, right? So... It's it's not even yes, like it's not even like a five year out thing in a lot in some cases I think because when a state like Texas or Alabama or or uh, you know all these other states that are really cracking down hard on uh, reproductive rights when they start trying to drag people back from Colorado or uh, um, uh, I think Oklahoma no Oklahoma just signed a signed an abortion ban I think. Um, Maybe it was, nah, I can't remember which state. I, the, the, Missouri the, went went hard on one. There, there have been so many, it's hard yeah, to keep yeah, track yeah. of. So there's, there's a lot of, so, you know, when when these states start trying to track down people who have left the state to get an abortion, um, even if they're still out of state and try to drag them back to, you know, their home state to be tried and prosecuted, uh, I think that's going to uh, have a strong case for the use of the emergency docket um see even even if they rule against that kind of behavior uh you know i i think the decision is going to come a lot a lot quicker than than we think it might uh just because you know the urgency of the matter of of like what's what's happening i guess um the, the expansion of the shadow docket in recent years is one of the most alarming developments on yeah, the supreme it's, it's court crazy. um like just to give a little history, because I think many people don't realize how new this is. Like ordinarily, the shadow docket is used to just like 
give people more time to file a brief or to say we're going to have another round of oral arguments. The only times it's really ever historically before 2017 been used for subsequent for like substantive things is when like the two times I can think of um, is like the execution of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. The Supreme Court said, stop, don't do that. Right. Which obviously you need like an emergency procedure because once they're dead, there's nothing you can do. Right. And stopping the bombing of Cambodia, which again is like, we have to stop this today because if we don't, people will die and really bad things will happen. Compare this to like since 2017, um, Donald Trump basically had an in on a Supreme Court. And we're talking like things got brought on the shadow docket, like whether transgender people could openly serve in the military. Certainly like a significant issue, but not immediate life and death this year. Whether you could use the military to make a border wall, um, what kinds of asylum restrictions you could have. Like the Supreme Court granted 28 in the year 2017. Over yeah. the past four presidencies, well, I guess past four presidential terms, it was like 16 years, three were granted. Right. So like it's been an enormous expansion. And it used to be you pretty much only got the shadow docket for cases that were 9 0. Right. Like everyone agreed. So the need to give a reason is less pressing. But now you're getting it for things where there's only a few people who agree. You got like five or six. And the Supreme Court doesn't have to say who agreed on it. Yep. Why they made the decision they did. Yeah, it's, and it's like they don't have to give reasons for it. So lower courts can't do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I brought mm -hmm. it up on the last uh, uh, regular podcast episode we did, but. Uh, one one of the last times that the, the shadow docket was used uh, more recently was uh, uh, to roll back a bunch of uh, state and tribal rights uh, to to water protection. Um, basically, like a soft rollback of like what what the EPA was doing uh, to to like stop pollution and stuff like that of uh, of like uh, water sources for for tribes and, and that sort of thing. Um, so. Yeah, the the shadow. Well, that's really important. Yeah, <laughs> was that right? Because uh, well, that's that's really really urgent. Because corporations might lose some money if you don't do right, that, yeah. right? So like right <laughs> away, we've got to. That's it. Used to be like only when you're going to bomb a country does the Supreme Court intervene emergency. But now it's just like I might lose some water rights and be out a couple million bucks. It's yeah. like now you. That's when the Supreme they're, Court acts. They're not it's letting me bullshit. dump my slag into the the river that uh, people get their water from, um, and this is really hurting my bottom line. So <laughs> let me let me call in the Supreme Court on this one. Um, so we've gotten we, through, we can go through the rest of these people pretty quick. Yeah, they're 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 less influential, I think. Yeah. You've got Sonia Sotomayor, uh, liberal. And you mean, you mean you got, liberal in the most insulting way possible, I think. Um, so Sotomayor is slightly less insulting. Kagan is a liberal in the worst way possible. Okay. Sotomayor, <laughs> like, she she will... There are a decent number of eight ones where Sotomayor, like, tries to stand up for justice. Sure. Like, uh, of course, I mean, insofar as someone's a Supreme Court justice and like accepts the legal system as it currently is, you got problems. Right. But Sotomayor is probably the least morally shitty of them that we haven't actually seen what Kentanji Brown Jackson can do. I, uh, I mean, I think she's not going to be 
I mean, Bri Briar was uh, meh, you know? And I think she's going to be more on the like, all right, she's okay uh, side of things. Um, but it doesn't really change the balance of the court in any way. So yeah. Her, yeah. her ability to do much more than to, to dissent is uh, kind of really all we have there. Um, but go on. Yeah. yeah. What, what you're going to get is those sort of, the best case is those Sotomayor eight ones become seven twos. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but and then you got what Elena Kagan, who is very much like a textualist, which is another word for originalist. She's just like not insane about it. You've got Neil Gorsuch, who's an originalist, who's insane about basically everything except Native American rights, where he suddenly realizes that the government is historically oppressive and goes after people who are in desperate need of legal defense. Like I said, Gorsuch knows no facts about history except yeah. for an incredibly <laughs> deep knowledge of tribal law. It, and it, like it is can pretty bizarre. From his memory. Yeah, it makes him honestly the most, fr for me, the most frustrating person on the Supreme Court. It's like he knows better. He knows exactly how shitty the government is and yeah. won't do anything about it except for white people and Native Americans. Well, what can you then, do? Yeah, you, we, we all know the things about Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Barrett. Yeah. And we already kind of covered those. Um, so another, another thing that that's coming down the pipeline, it seems, uh, is the, uh, the case that the Supreme court is taking on for their next term, um, uh, oh. on the subject of, uh, voting rights. I'm, I'm forgetting the, the name of the case. Um, Perhaps you know. Perhaps I can open up. Uh... I really should know. Um, it's it's dealing with the independent state legislature theory, and I know it's coming out of North Carolina. The name's Moore versus Harper. Yes, that's that's the one. Yeah, it's I. This is probably just like my little bit of belief in the system holding out, but I just. I have to believe that the reason the Supreme Court is taking on this independent state legislature theory is to absolutely fucking dunk on it. I, it now, will that dunk be 9-0? No, I think it's going to be more of like a 5-4 <laughs> sort of split. Um, it seems like um, they've got, they've got, certainly got three votes for it. They've got Thomas Alito and Gorsuch. Yeah. In my of Kavanaugh, though Kavanaugh has shown sensitivity towards not destroying the nation. But just to let worth catching people up on the legal theory of the state legislature, because state legislature is so bash crazy, it's hard to understand how somebody could possibly come to believe this. And notably, I think few people come to believe this. Are, are you familiar with the reasoning behind this? Uh, not not particularly, no. So here's the basic thought is um, you go in the Constitution, the Constitution says that um, the legislatures run elections, right? So here's the relevant clause. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations. Here's basically... Here's the natural way to read that. Um, you've got this body, the state legislature. Um, the state legislature gets to make rules. Um, 
Well, obviously, the state legislature is the body that's composed of like your state representatives that you vote on, and thus they have to follow the state constitution. Right. Like very, very normal stuff. Right. right. So like state constitution, sometimes um, say legislation can be blocked by governor's veto or a citizen's referendum. Uh, sometimes they say that, like, laws have to follow certain rules. Right. So the 14th Amendment has some due process and equal rights stuff. But many states go beyond federal law in this way. Of course. That's like the natural way to read this. Right. Yeah. Here is the way that independent state legislature people read it. Um, those independent state, the state legislature that's mentioned the election clause, the one that prescribes them times, manner, and place of elections, isn't actually the state legislature you're familiar with. It's made up of exactly the same people, of course, but it's a completely different body. So it doesn't have to follow the state constitution. It doesn't have to listen to the governor. It can just pass any laws it wants. Um, this idea initially sort of comes from Bush v. Gore, right? But B- Bush v. Gore doesn't really lay this thing out. Uh, the Arizona tried to pass it in 2015 when the state legislature um, basically said, "Yeah, we know the citizens have constitutionally passed a thing for independent redistricting. We're just going to ignore that." The Supreme Court said that's bullshit. After 2020. Trump in his lawsuits tried to say that the state legislatures could just completely ignore election results and put forth whatever electors they want with whatever rules they wanted. Again, the Supreme Court said this is bullshit, but six, three. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas, Alito and Gorsuch stood on board of it. So now um, the state legislature, this, the theory is coming again, and there's some thought because the Supreme Court has shown absolutely no interest in following the text of laws or the traditional interpretation of laws or the common sense reading of laws that they might actually do this. But when you lay it out the way I did, which I, it's, it's like it's that's a neutral way to lay it out, really. Yeah. It's just an absolutely insane theory. Right. And because, again, like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're pretending that the, the, that that during the election cycle, the state legislature is no longer the state legislature. It's the state legislature, but uh, different this time. Um, yeah, that's 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 crazy talk, obviously, because there's no like independent election held for this second uh, state legislature that only operates during the uh, the election cycle um, or anything like that. No. So they're not different. They're not voted on in a different way or anything like that. It's the same body of people being treated differently in this particular circumstance for no real reason. And for like 200 years, no one had any problem understanding what the constitution meant. And just, just in case people don't know, like the federal government does not protect a lot of what you think are pretty basic voting rights, right? So like in many States, for instance, you've got a right to a secret ballot. The government can't just reveal who people voted for and they can't, like they can't get a list of who voted for Joe Biden, who voted for Donald Trump, all of that. That's entirely in a state constitution. Yeah. Right. So if they wanted, and I'm sure no state legislature would ever consider doing such a thing, they could just release a list of all the Biden voters and just say, yeah, you know, we've got unlimited power. We can just release the Biden voters to the public and say, hey, everybody, look, here's the list of names, address, phone number of every single Joe Biden voter. Don't do anything bad with that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, really, don't don't hurt them. 
This this isn't like that, a hit list. This is just a <laughs> a, a public notice uh, that that nobody should uh, concern themselves with. Yeah, they can say they're going to do this ahead of time, right? It's like if you vote for Joe Biden, we will release your name. Don't yeah. worry about it. People tend to think that like you should have election commissions that review the results of elections who are like nonpartisan. Under this theory, state legislatures would get to decide whether an election was stolen or not. And again, I'm sure it would never happen that you convince state legislators to pretend an election is stolen because the candidate they want to win lost. We've never seen anybody attempt to do that before. But in theory, that could happen. In in theory. (laughs) I think also like another big in theory sort of thing is the idea that there is such a thing as independent uh, review of something like this. Um. Oh, no doubt. I, I agree that the review is not independent, but if you've got two choices, you can have people who are like nominally independent and don't have any political incentive to lie. Yeah. Or like the, the, the closest Trump allies who have worked with Donald Trump on his campaign for months or Joe Biden, but only one presidential candidate has ever tried to do something like this. So I'm just going to use Trump as the example, like have worked with Donald Trump for months, want him to win, have been promised more political power. If Trump wins, like if you have to take between those two groups to pick, even though the first group isn't like independent, right. They're not totally neutral. They've got their own biases and incentives they're bringing in. I'd much rather have those people be looking. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's better than the alternative, and and we seem to be going towards the alternative, which is um, incredibly biased people who uh, have been given shady incentives to to lie or cheat or steal uh, an election. Um, did did we'll, you we'll see be... this guy in New Mexico? Uh, no, I don't think I did. So there's a county in southeastern New Mexico that had a primary and um, the Republican com- county commission just refused to report the results of the election because they used Dominion voting machines. <laughs> and the guy had a deep down feeling that Dominion voting machines were rigged. So like the state, the state courts asked him for evidence and he explicitly said, I have no evidence whatsoever, but I really feel like they're bad. So I'm just not going to count it. The state courts end up saying, F you, you got to count it. You can't just decide not to count votes. <laughs> yeah. But again, with independent state legislator theory, courts don't get to do anything. Right. Because yeah. courts can only interpret things in the context of existing laws and state constitutions. That's really where this came from, is North Carolina proposed an extraordinarily gerrymandered map, like much worse than what you normally see. And the state constitution says you can't do that. The legislators are saying, no, 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 no. We have unlimited power. And this is clearly what the Constitution intended. Yeah, like the Constitution like, clearly yeah. intended that we draw the map so that nobody's Democratic vote actually matters and we uh, rig the election to, to our favor. This is what reveals how unbelievably bankrupt originalism is, right? Because in theory, like... Anybody who's a serious originalist should immediately see through this. If you're applying like a history and traditions test, or you're looking at the original meaning of the words, or you're looking at the meaning of the words as they mean today, nobody who can speak the English language, like competently, fluently, knows what the words mean from a dictionary. 
could possibly think this is what's going on. But you'll, you'll find that originalism is conveniently forgotten immediately once it stops being helpful to the Republican Party. Like you look at what the Supreme Court did with Native American rights this term. It's extremely clear what the treaty said. And for more or less, we've been able to get along understanding what the words of those trees mean, violating them, going against them, whatever. But like, it's very clear the kind of sovereignty Congress intended in the 1830s for Native American tribes to have. They just say it. They say the words. But once that original meaning becomes inconvenient for Republicans, suddenly original meaning is thrown out the window and we invent new stuff. Well, I mean, uh, well, you're quite... that, that's where you like you 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 take the the original words, right? And then you find some cockamamie, completely outside of like reality way to explain, uh, you know, like well, what they actually meant when they said uh, sovereignty. Um, if you look at this obscure writing from uh, Adam Smith back in, you know, seventeen oh five or whatever. Uh, it's clear that he didn't feel this way at the time. And so what he was doing was he was saying sovereignty, but with a little bit of a wink, uh, and a nod towards this other thing, which isn't actually sovereignty. Um, and, and so like the, the originalists love digging really deep into like obscure, uh, nonsense to justify how this, this treaty or this, uh, this ruling or this, um, this constitutional amendment doesn't actually mean exactly what it says. Uh, you know, the, the second amendment, for instance, being about well-regulated militia and, uh, you know, what, what, what did they really mean by regulation? Um, it's kind of what the originalists do with that. And, uh, you know, um, so yeah, it's, 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 a incredibly disingenuous thing that the originalists do all the time. Uh, but, Go on, I think you were going to say something else. Well, you're speaking of guns. Um, the most recent Supreme Court ruling on guns in New York, like the New York Rifle Association, sued the state for having concealed carry laws and sometimes saying some people can't carry guns around yeah. concealed. Like if you um, have a like, history well, of being a bad person who hurts people, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be able to just conceal a weapon on your person. Yeah, so he, here, here is the, what the law said. is The law said you've got to have some reason to want to carry around a gun other than just like <laughs> very neutral, I want to protect myself and my property. You've got to give some reason. And they're pretty loose on what a reason can be, right? You yeah. might be wealthy. Uh, you might be like have some reason to be afraid of your life. You might be a political. Like you just got to give some positive reason that's intelligible to the state. Right. And what the Supreme Court does is they go back and they see that in the 1200s, you see, um, there weren't gun control laws. And the closest thing, of course, there weren't gun control laws. So what were the dagger control laws? <laughs> right. no, this is No, no, this is serious. Like no, Alito no, talks I, about how a dagger is yeah. the closest analog for a gun. And he goes back and says, yeah, you know, there weren't dagger control laws. There weren't laws saying you couldn't carry a dagger around wherever you went. So uh, gun control. You can't have that either. And then you just read the dissent, right? And it's people just listing off law after law after law of dagger control. Right. I'm not kidding. They found dagger control. No, 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 I'm sure they did. And, and then, like, you know, the. It's nonsense. Even if there wasn't like dagger control law, 
something like that and alito wanted to further obscure the case he could just go like well yeah and again these these are people who have very similar opinions to your most uneducated fucking like racist uncle um where you see all these you know facebook posts and shit like that that are like look you can kill someone with a rock Cain killed abel with a rock and you know what were the rock controls or control laws like uh, in in american history um you can obscure it as in as many disingenuous ways as you want um and and it's just yeah it's 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 in service of uh i mean it's in service of you know gun manufacturers essentially um but yeah. I mean, this is why you've got to be so scared of a history and traditions test being mm-hmm. something the Supreme Court wants to apply everywhere. Because it's just like, the fact is, you can look for some analog to an AR-15, right? You can try and find something that was kind of like it, like a rock or a small dagger or a big sword or whatever. But the fact is, is there was just nothing technologically like this for most of the history of the United States where anyone with a few thousand dollars could go out and buy a semi-automatic rifle that you can use to kill a lot of people pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got a fire rate faster than, like, Gatling guns uh, used in, in, like, most of America's early wars shit, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and what, <laughs> like, does an, what does an AR-15 weigh? Like, six and a half, seven pounds with a 20-round magazine? It uh, really kind of depends on how you, like, uh, yeah... Somewhere around there, uh, six to eight. It's like I, the, the point is just like basically anyone could carry, like, yeah. could carry this. You yeah. look at like Gatling guns, people like to talk about how there were rudimentary Gatling guns at the time the Constitution was ratified. Like, let's set aside all the issues of mechanical failure. You need three people to operate one of right. those, yeah. Things. That's, and that's kind of the point I was making is like you now have yeah. in, in you know, can be hidden in a uh, a bulky jacket, uh, weapon. Uh, that does more work than a, a, what used to be a crew serve weapon. Um, there, there should be some some uh, reasonable way to limit who gets that. Um, I I think it's it's crazy that people even want uh, something like that around them all the time. Um, it, it just can't be mentally healthy for you to have no, something it, like that and be thinking of like all the ways you can kill people who might try and hurt you. Yeah, it's it's a really bizarre I think uh it, it's 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 a mental illness of sorts uh in this country, I think. Um I mean like I was in the military for 5 years. I went to Afghanistan twice and I had to carry a rifle around with me at all times when I was in Afghanistan. And, you know, when I finally got back to the States and I was able to get rid of that fucking thing, I was so happy because it's such a burden to always have that thing on you and, like, always have to be aware that you might accidentally, like, uh, pull the trigger if you're not, like, being careful about how you load your weapon and everything like that, making sure you're in the right condition uh, when you're carrying it around so that it doesn't accidentally go off and all this sort of shit. And, you know, I think of somebody who in America wants to, like, carry this thing around with them all the time. And bizarrely enough, uh, I don't think there's any, like, condition laws in in the States. So, you know, whereas on a military base in Afghanistan, which is an active war zone... Uh, I have to make sure that I don't have a round on the chamber at all times so I don't accidentally, you know, discharge my weapon. Um, 
I don't think that exists back here in the States. And so you get it, just anyone and everyone could be walking around with a round in their chamber, uh, the safety off if they, you know, they, they're not paying attention to it or they just don't feel like the safety matters. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's insane to me. Um, and, and, you know, the idea that we, we shouldn't have some kind of like r rational restriction on, I mean, even if, even if the gun control comes down to like, if we catch you walking around and, you know, uh, a, a status where you have a round ready in your chamber and your safety's off, we take your gun away for a, a while or something like that. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy to me. Well, and this is, you talked about this at the beginning, but this is where it becomes clear that Congress is just as much of a problem here because even if you take like the most radical Scalia interpretation on gun rights in the United States, you can still regulate the militia. Right. And the militia is like every able-bodied person because Congress has to decide what the militia is, right? And something like you, you can't carry around a loaded weapon or you've got to do training a certain amount of time every year. You've got to spend a week. Like those are legitimate militia regulations that are yep. well-founded in the history, tradition, like all of that stuff. And Congress doesn't even try. No. Instead, you just get like the most recent gun control law we've seen, which does basically nothing. And still yeah. Republicans are just having a fucking fit about it because of course they are, Republicans right? Republicans are but, having a fit about it uh, even though it does nothing. And then Democrats are singing God bless America on the steps of the, uh, <laughs> steps of the Capitol. Uh, that, that was a, that was, I, it was, the day was bad. Don't get me wrong, but you just can't help but laugh at how unbelievably tone deaf it is to like, when we're rolling out a law that rightly or wrongly, I think rightly, but regardless, many people think it's like an imposition of theological values on most Americans the song you pick is God Bless America. Yeah. Really? Amazing, right? That's the best we've got. It's the, the only interesting thing in the Senate bill is red flag laws, and that's probably going to go. Yeah. And all the, the red flag, it doesn't even expand red flags. It just tells states, we'll give you some money if you do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, there's there's no... It, yeah it's it's gonna go nowhere it's gonna do nothing and and you know this isn't exactly the issue that we have here is the the legislature has technically according to how the government is supposed to operate way more power than the courts do but the legislature is so frozen and so incapable of doing anything and it's you know Largely because uh, the legislature, the legislative branch, uh, has agreed to these rules that don't make any sense, like the filibuster, um, that they can't get anything done. And then they go, ah, well, we can't get anything done. Um, and then, yeah, the, the court ends up ruling on, you know, like the nitty gritty details of the law that actually shape life uh, because they're they're working with... Um, they're working with court case rulings essentially and not and not any kind of legislative backing that they've been given to say hey look you know clarence thomas might disagree with us or whatever but we're the legislative branch we're the writers of the law the only thing the court is supposed to do is interpret that law but if you don't don't give them anything to interpret uh they they just make whatever ruling they want i guess um 
I think this is uh, maybe a good place to uh, start winding down. Um, if, if you've got anything just, else you wanted to say. I, I got one more thing yeah, that yeah, yeah, absolutely. many people don't talk about that helps shape why courts act the way they do. So naturally, I mean, m- many people don't quite put this together, but like for the courts to rule on a case, the case has to be brought up. For a case to be brought up in most relevant cases, you need the government on one side and some human being on the other. One thing that really helps stop things from coming together and stops actual cases from getting tested and stops rights from being exercised is the fact that prosecutors in the United States have absolute immunity. People freak out rightly about the fact that cops have qualified immunity, but for prosecutors, Seymour, they have absolute immunity. They can't be sued for anything. This comes from a case, Imbler v. Pachman, 1976. Uh, There's this guy, he was a defendant in a murder trial. Uh, He was convicted and sentenced. It turns out there was evidence the state attorney's office had the whole time that showed that he was innocent. Um, He used that evidence to get himself exonerated. Great. Then he sued the prosecutor for withholding evidence. Like This is against the law. As a prosecutor, you can't withhold evidence that's exculpatory towards defendants. You're supposed to share any evidence you collect. Yeah, and this is obviously extremely important. Right. Like you can't you just can't do without something like that or else prosecutors will be feel free to do whatever they want. Supreme Court rules that you can't sue the prosecutor for doing this because prosecutors might start second guessing themselves. Oh, no. Or be nervous <laughs> or afraid to do their job if they were liable for anything they did. So prosecutors can aren't responsible for any injuries that result from their conduct on the job. So prosecutors can choose to sue any, like they can choose to raise charges against anyone they want with no consequence. They can choose to not raise them against anyone they want with no consequences. They can share withhold evidence. The only consequence they might face is getting fired. Yeah. But there's no criminal or civil liability if you're a prosecutor. And these people are like, they're career minded, right? Like basically anyone in the so-called justice system, like they want to move up and get the big convictions. And it's very hard and a rare case to prove that there's exculpatory evidence that was hidden. Like the problems go all the way down at every level. And the fact that constitutional amendments are basically impossible to pass makes this really hard to deal with. Yeah. And, and, you know, it should be noted that our current vice president um, has a long history of uh, hiding evidence and distorting facts in order to keep people in prison or secure uh, guilty verdicts. Um, So you know this <laughs> yeah i mean this... kamala harris bragged about smoking marijuana at the same time that she was one of the hardest prosecutors on drugs in the united states oh, yeah, absolutely and then you know there's other cases of her uh uh hiding evidence that would have probably exonerated a uh, murder uh, uh trial um uh, uh defendant um so you know uh, th- these these things go down to the very roots, and then we find these people at the very top of uh, government. I mean, vice president doesn't really do a whole lot, but um, well, and, and we we just live in a society that's deeply committed to tough on crime. Like I don't know how much you followed uh, Kentanji Brown Jackson's confirmation hearing, but one significant thing that a lot of Republicans went after her for was that she was a, a federal defender, public defender for a year and a half. Yeah, and how dare, so you be, her. how dare you be on the other side of the equation here, standing up for people's rights rather than uh, trying to punish them for something? Yeah, people asked whether her heart was with the criminal, whether she um, was like 
committed to defending child rape, whether she supported child rapists. And it's like, I mean, we're seeing a surge now from media and tough on crime coverage, right? I was reading yeah. a thing from a San Francisco newspaper recently that talked about how um, even though violent crime is way down, violent crime is probably actually up a lot because people are just so convinced that the police won't do anything that they never report their violent crimes anymore, which is bullshit. It's absolutely Everyone bullshit. knows it's bullshit. You've got the mayor of Chicago, former prosecutor, surprisingly, saying that in Chicago, presumption of innocence doesn't really apply because the cops only raise things, only raise charges against people they're really confident are guilty. <laughs> yeah. So you can just so you just shouldn't have bail for anyone accused of a violent crime. Like it's all of these things work together, right? And it's really easy to say, look, the Supreme Court's bad because the Supreme Court is bad, right? They're consistently deeply shitty, but it is. It's very easy to be pessimistic on the possibility of reform when you see that like every aspect of the U.S. justice system and the media coverage and the people around it and people at large are just totally fine with huge numbers of innocent people going to prison for prison for bullshit. Because, yeah, we got to be tough on crime, even though anyone who's ever studied it knows that knows it doesn't work. You know, I, I have hey. a, I have a coworker who. Uh... Both of her parents uh, work in law enforcement, and uh, th this was like right after the the Evalde, uh stuff happened, uh, where you where you have a clear indication that the cops just do not give a shit about doing anything to protect people, uh, lie a bunch, um, probably have a lot of issues in their leadership, et cetera, et cetera. Right, really clear case where nobody can actually defend the cops in this circumstance. And and even immediately right after that, uh, one one of my other coworkers was called up for jury duty, and uh, she was like, "Oh yeah, I always get out of uh, jury duty because I just say both of my parents are in law enforcement, and if somebody's here in court, they're guilty. It doesn't matter." Um, so e even like even like with all these like clear indications of of how bad the police are, um really this this national conversation of like wow maybe the cops don't fucking care about us at all uh this person was still just willing to be like no if somebody's brought to court by the police uh they they did something wrong even if it wasn't the Wait, crime did, that... did, go ahead did they say that strategically like i just want to get out of jury duty or did they no, believe no, no, no. It? she was saying it genuinely she was like no i've heard stories oh, from my parents fuck. that like Anyone who's brought in front of court is uh, basically guilty of something, even if it's not the thing that they've been brought up for. Um, so, and and I think this is a, a genuine belief of a lot of people. Um, which you know, maybe we could talk uh, another time about how the justice system kind of is rigged for shitty results, regardless of uh, <laughs> of who's kind of in charge of the system. Um, you know, the, the, the idea that you get seen by a jury of your peers and not a highly selected group of individuals who, uh, you know, don't have any radical beliefs and maybe uh, aren't that invested in any kind of like un greater understanding of how uh, justice works. You know, you, you get a jury of people who agree to certain things that the uh, that the court won't throw out. Um it's just the fact that whether the judge is having a good day or a bad day or preliminary mm -hmm. hearing has huge impacts on what sorts of things will be allowed to be used against you. Yeah, it's yeah. that's another topic for sure. <laughs> but it's it's good to keep in mind, like 
the Supreme Court is incredibly powerful. You've got nine people up there. They make these huge consequential rulings. But the most consequential things like Dobbs v. Jackson's terrible, right? But the Supreme Court's going to see maybe one or two criminal abortion cases over the next five years, where it's really going to have its impact and where the problems of the justice are going to be felt the most is the fact that prosecutors are going to use their immunity to go after just some random person that had a miscarriage or a person who got abortion for all kinds of reasons. You're going to have some stick in the mud Republican judge who doesn't give a shit about anything except his own career. And you're going to have a jury that thinks, oh, yeah, if the police charge them with a crime, they've they've got to be guilty. So we'll just convict. Yep. Like that is where huge numbers of problems come from. And if we had a really good justice system with like Sam Alito at the head of it and they just resisted all the shitty stuff he did, it would be bad. But it wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. Well, uh Power. That's as a uh, uh, cheery a note I think we can end. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody, nobody listens to this podcast uh, to to walk away feeling full of hope or anything like that. Um, and if you do, I'm sorry. Uh, you're you're going to be disappointed forever. Um, well, here's the real the real sad thing is like even if miraculously, and of course I don't want this to happen, and I oppose all the political violence in all forms, and I stand strongly against the actions of Antifa and any other sort of organization that might engage in such tomfoolery. But if horrifically a Supreme Court justice were to be killed, national tragedy, thoughts and prayers, yeah. um, like when it's someone on Supreme Court, right, like Alito or Kavanaugh or whatever. Um, it, it just it wouldn't change a damn thing because you've it got really so no. many callous people so far out. Even if it somehow changed the balance of the Supreme Court, the callousness is all the way down. Yeah, that's that, that's the happy outcome is you you got to kill a lot of people maybe, to make this work. You know, worth worth noting uh, again, I brought it up on uh, the last regular episode, but uh, Joe, Joe Biden, who does a a good enough move nominating Katanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court to replace Breyer uh, also strikes a deal with um, Mitch McConnell to uh, point a federal judge that's anti-abortion and, you know, kind of a far right wing lunatic kind of guy uh, in, in return for what was it? It was uh, two. Uh, it was McConnell not filibustering two temporary prosecutor nominations in Kentucky. Right. Yeah, which again, you know, we've we've already highlighted why uh, prosecutors also kind of suck and how they have a dangerous role in all this. Um, so no, no real win by any means. Uh, the federal uh, judge judge seat is lifetime. The two temporary prosecutor seats are obviously temporary. And uh, prosecutors but, 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 don't wait, necessarily. Wait, you're do. telling me Joe, Joe Biden did that? Yeah, Joe Biden, Joseph. But Joe, jo- jo- Joseph, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. said shortly after Roe v. the overturning of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey that he would do everything in his power to protect a woman's right to abortion. Everything in his power. Um, he said, "Yeah, he said he would do everything." You're telling me he didn't do the most, <laughs> the most. Yeah, basic. Was, if, if, if this doesn't lend credence to Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Vatican plant, <laughs> like that—that's th- that's the theory, right? Is, yeah. Have you seen that meme where Joe Biden's like lifting a weight? He's on the phone with a Pope, and he's like, "I've overturned abortion. We're going for gay marriage next." Yeah, yeah, I have. Seen they that. think I'm senile, like that's. <laughs> 
Yeah. I almost uh, hope that's true, just so that we have someone competent. The last five presidents, right? And uh, yeah, Protestant, 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 Catholic to get abortion overturned. (laughs) And then uh, Joe Biden, it only takes him two years to get rid of abortion as a Catholic. <laughs> um, yeah. Funny, but also right. sad. Sad and we feel bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, I hope the Biden Catholic plant theory is true, just because it means you've got someone who knows what they're doing in charge instead of someone who is inarguably suffering from the effects of mental decay. I mean, that's a, uh, Yeah. That's probably a whole another conversation as well. Yeah, we can end here. We can end yeah. here. Let's, let's you you tried to end it. I said f you. No, Not no, that's fine. It. People say that to me all the time. All right, well, Robert, uh, thank you very much for your time and uh, your insight on this uh, uh, matter. Um, well, we'll have to do it again sometime. I enjoyed this quite a lot. Yeah, this was. It's always fun to talk about courts. Yeah, everybody loves. It's like everybody loves Raymond. You know how everybody <laughs> actually hates Raymond on Everybody Loves Raymond? Right. It's, it's, everybody that's loves what it's talking like. about the courts. Is, uh, yeah, it's a rule I've always stood by. All right, well, thank you very All much. Right. Uh, have, have a good... Uh, uh, I'm sure you're going to be doing lots of celebrating on the 4th of July uh, because you're clearly a, a good patriot who loves his country. Um, you know, the, the one thing the Supreme Court hasn't done is they have not overturned... Uh, John, Texas v. Johnson. So you still have a right to burn an American flag. Doesn't matter what day of the year it is, baby. Yeah, but today you gotta admit, today's a pretty decent day. Like as <laughs> things go, you can make all the old, all the old people like watching fireworks or whatever. You're yeah. like, watch this. You pour some lighter fluid over a flag. Boom, beautiful flames. Yep, and they they can't technically do anything to you. All right, sir. Have a good one. Bye. You too.